So, welcome to the Noisy Hadger podcast. I am in my kitchen with my boyfriend, Curtis, and he is making some... Uh, what are we making? I've chopped a bunch of veg, so we've got green peppers, uh, red onions, and there's some gar- oh, courgettes and some garlic. What I'm going to do now is put them into this bucket to clear the pan and stick that mince in. Unless you have any counsel to the contrary. <laughs> no, that's fine. No, the short answer to that is um, some form of bolognese, isn't it, I think? Oh, yeah. It'll be like the end result will be some sort of minced bolognese thing. Okay. So let's stick the veg in the bucket. There we go. Oh, you can hear that. Oh, we've got some good sounds going on there. Um, yeah, I thought I'd do a different podcast today, uh, partly out of laziness. Uh, I do have um, the mics in the other room that we could set up and sit down, but actually I kind of don't want to sit on my chair again today um it's wednesday i'll put this out on friday but friday night i have a gig so i'm just doing a little five minute spot in camden um for weapons of mass hilarity is the um is the night and that is a play on being middle eastern of some form uh, so it will actually be quite um quite a good room i think it might even be relatable um and what else is going on for me this week not much not much, quite a quite a good week. Sorted all my systems out at work. Um, have some good to-do lists. Have, a, you know, what I'm doing today and then this week and then this month and blah, blah, blah. And obviously every day I'm pushing those things back. But uh, it is good to sort of feel a bit on top of things. Um, rushing a lot with this work in progress. Um, did some writing at the weekend with... Farah Sharp. I think I've now mentioned her about four times on this podcast, but uh, she helped me kind of go through some of my material. So I feel a little bit better at what I'm doing with this work in progress, which is November 21st. And also Elf Lyons, who is, um, well, she's very well known in the industry and, and beyond as well with all her solo shows. So I'm seeing her solo show tomorrow night and hopefully she will be helping me um yeah add some more creative elements to my show so it's actually quite funny because I obviously I'm paying for people's time that's the right thing to do (laughs) but I am looking at like wow I would not be able to uh afford help if um if I didn't have this job uh and yeah I've definitely realized and I've, I've known this for a while even before the ADHD diagnosis that um I have to have people holding me accountable or sitting down with me just to keep me focused so yeah, I guess I'm just going to have to learn that that is the way I work forever and ever on creative stuff. Like on other stuff, so when it's not creative, it's okay because you're not really looking at all the possibilities and you're less invested and it matters a little, you know, matters less if I'm doing a presentation for work. Um, but for something creative where you're trying to get your voice across and all that sort of thing, um, it's very helpful. So that is what I'm doing. Anything else? What have we got this weekend? On? Oh, we're seeing friends on Saturday. Um, you're going to the rugby on Sunday. Friday night, you're watching the rugby at home while I gig. Uh, tomorrow, Thursday, yep, I'm going to see Elf Lines' show with me mate Jules, who um, obviously did the podcast uh, a few weeks ago. And yeah, not not much else. I'm, I'm looking at a top on my um, kitchen counter, which arrived with a stain on it. So I need to send that back. Um, but today I'm going to chat to, we've got, an, I do have one or two other podcasts still in reserve, but I'm going to edit those uh, when I have a bit more time. But today I'm going to chat to Curtis. We're going to chat, aren't we, Curtis? Yeah. Yeah. We used to have a podcast, didn't we? We had a podcast about books um, that I always tell people it was a thing we did through the pandemic, but actually we started it way before. We started but I feel it in like, Paris. 
we did, didn't we? We did that pilot. Mm. Um, actually, I remember. So yeah, the podcast was about books. Um, and it would be one book per episode. But I remember we did, it wasn't even a pilot, it was you and me trialling it. I love that we call it a pilot, like, yeah, yeah, we put out a pilot. Well, no, <laughs> it didn't we, get picked up. <laughs> we actually, in when I lived in Maidervale, when you were living in Paris, you came to visit me, and I lived in, like, one room in, like, you know, when you live in London, there's, like, four people, and that's, there's the four rooms, and then there's a communal kitchen, and it was really shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and you came to stay with me in that dingy little room, and that's where we decided... We'll discuss doing it. So there was, a, I think we did a couple of books, like The Great Gatsby, and we recorded Five it. Five people you meet in heaven as well. That's it, yeah. yeah. And we recorded it on like a phone recorder, just here. And we, I remember listening back, and I was like, this is the best thing ever. Let's put this out on podcast platforms now. And you were like, no. that. Pro- and I've always been like that. And you were you're like, no, the production quality is not. Yeah, but the reason I am now doing a podcast that no one listens to and is about nothing is because you've told me to do it. So... Um, I don't know whether to blame you or to thank you for it, but it's it's uh, good to it's good to start. I think it's well, yeah, it's good to do. But no, my so that was when we started trying it. But then when we recorded the first episode, do you remember that was at yours in Paris mm. in that awesome little flat? It was when there was the um, the protest going on outside, wasn't there? The, uh, yeah, jaune, they were the jaune, what, uh, the gilet jaune. The gilet jaune. That was they it. They were ripping up pavements in La République just outside, and I remember we tried to record our conversation again about the books we'd already discussed. And it just did not work. Mm. We were going. We stopped after about ten minutes. And went. This is shit because yeah. we were just trying to rec. And I think it goes to show that the nice thing about a podcast, and I love listening to podcasts, is that they're just so candid. Because mm. when we try to recreate the conversation we'd already had, it would be like anyone trying to recreate the conversation they had. It's just yeah, you can't capture the staged, stuff, yeah. the the sort of that natural, that natural element of it. Um, yeah. And also, yeah, you can't... I think part of conversation is that you're discovering what you think as you talk. So you can't really rediscover what you think as you talk, especially when you're talking about books. You don't... Often with a book, like we've talked about this before, you don't know what you think about it until someone asks you. you. And you figure it out, yeah. And you can't just recreate that. No, and that's why I think podcasts... I mean, podcasts are an awesome medium, aren't they? I think I thought about this when I was walking home in the rain just now. (laughs) Um, It's... um, No, honestly... Share the joke. No, no, you you just... (laughs) You just um, you just come across things that are so amazing, don't you? Like you know, they'll make you laugh, they'll make you cry. I've really enjoyed the episode you've done of this. So what did I listen to just this weekend? I listened to you and Jen chatting, and even though I've you know been out with you and Jen and met Jen many times, it's nice to just hear you have that conversation about like you were you were talking about travel, weren't you? And then it and I start doing a podcast in my own head. Go, I start doing my own thing about oh, when I travel, I don't wear jeans, and then I start getting like um, on a plane, obviously. But yeah, I start getting my own trail of thought of what I would be contributing to this conversation, which probably makes me a bad podcast listener. But it means I'm full of inspiration by the conversation I'm hearing. No, that's the whole point of podcast, isn't it? You feel like you're part of the conversation, and you feel like you've got an opinion. Like I do still, um, I, I love it when my friends message me, mainly Amanda. Hi, Amanda, um, and she'll message me saying, "Yeah, I completely understand what you said about this." and um and that's yeah that's a massive part of the joy and knowing that um obviously if i had more listeners there would be people listening who wouldn't tell me that but they would be thinking the same thing like oh yeah that i understand that and it's it's all about connection isn't it it's all about just feeling a little bit closer to people and i have that like every monday morning i listen to the egg chasers rugby podcast and i have been since 
I don't know, six years, but longer than you and I have been going out, I've been listening to that podcast consistently on a Monday morning. It's rare I miss an episode. And I feel like they're my friends. Do you know what I mean? I feel like they're the people I catch up with the rugby with after the weekend. But actually, one of them is my friend through Twitter circles. We've actually met and had beers, which is super nice. But it's the same with like people I haven't met. So I listen to some, some of the American Comedians podcast. And... And again, I listen to them, and like I feel like if I ran into them in a bar, mm-hmm. I'd be like, "Hey, buddy," because like it, it would yeah. be like my mate that I know because I've heard him have a conversation with his other friends every week, mm-hmm. if not more, because I do so many episodes. And for years, and yet they know nothing about me. It's always been the but risk sense of connection. Yeah, still. it's always been the risk of celebrity. Is the is the that feeling of connection? Sorry, I'm just turning up the heat on this meat meat that you're cooking um that sense of connection obviously it's been quite worrying and damaging and that's the kind of thing that can lead to stalker behavior and everything because you feel you know someone and not i mean in a normal person but obviously in someone who's ill um that sense of oh i know this person but with podcasts you you actually do know the person when they're in conversation with someone they know and like and trust way more than when we see a polished version of someone on stage or on tv and they're having a very rehearsed discussion and it's usually to promote something um so what's my point there is that actually the version we're seeing of people is real it's so much more real than we've ever seen before yeah and i guess yes of course you get that on radio because effectively the easiest way to describe a podcast to somebody who doesn't know is like oh it's like the radio but pre-recorded um well pre-recorded i think that's it's it's not as edited obviously yeah yeah um, but, but but I mean, yeah, it's still, it's such a new medium. People put them out so freely that, like you say, it just creates, for the listener, a level of connectivity, which yeah. is pretty unnatural. Yeah, I mean, I've um, I've always been, you know me, I don't ever have anything that I regularly listen to. I'll go in and out of some series. There's, I'm, I'm often quite like a BBC Radio 4 documentary type listener more than a conversational podcast listener. Um, and that's because I have noticed in conversation podcasts, obviously, as, as I've already noticed in my own, there's the same themes come up over and over again. And I often find myself wanting to learn. But I, I am still looking for those people that I could listen to week in, week out and feel like I'm friends with. But maybe because I have this negative, you're, you know, you're a much more positive thinker than me. If I'm listening to two people that I want to be friends with, it's like, I want to be friends with you. And if I get to a point where it's like, oh, I can't be their friend, then I just kind of feel, maybe I feel more lonely. I don't know. I've probably just exhausted a point that's not really there. Yeah, but, I, can't, I don't relate to well, that. Well, so yeah, no, of course you don't, because you'll be like, yeah, they're my mates. Um, uh, but maybe I still don't feel necessarily that I've discovered the voice or voices that I could listen to long term. Like I... And I, maybe that's just my brain anyway. Yeah. I go in and out. So I'll be I'll listen to someone for six weeks and then be like, oh, I'll do something well, else now. I do do that, maybe on a longer term basis. So I'm sorry, but it's going to be another rugby example. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I listen to other podcasts too. But I listened to one called Blood and Mud Rugby Podcast. It was so relatable when I first discovered it. I remember being in, in Monaco, working out there. Uh, and I remember I could see the kitchen of the apartment we were staying in at the time. I remember going, fuck me, I'm so bored. And I found this podcast and it had like awful graphic and the intro music was really cheap and just, yeah, it wasn't good sound quality. And then these like, well, a Northern voice and a Welsh voice came on and they were just like people talking about rugby who weren't, you know, rah, rah, rugby boys. These were like working class people with pretty cynical but funny views on it all. And I was like, oh, this is refreshing. No one talks about this sport like this, but I always want to, you know, um, and I related to them so well. And I listened to them for a couple of years. And I drifted out, right, because they were like, right, they were aggressively left-wing. Mm-hmm. And not to get political, but 
you know, like a lot of my generation, I generally leaned left liberal, but the older I get, a bit more in the centre. But they are so, on certain issues, mm. so the left side of looking at it is like this the and if you way. are and yeah and you are an idiot if you think otherwise and I, and they labored their point so much and i remember going god i used to get lost in these guys and i paid them a patreon for a few years and it was kind of like no love lost but i remember going i just can't listen to you anymore because you're so unbalanced in your opinions so i drifted out with those guys and i've had it with that's just one example but many podcasts have come and gone Met like most actually there's there's in fact i think ha is the only one i've been consistent with like a lot of these comedy ones i subscribe to now kind of got into them during running in the pandemic mm-hmm. it was something to take my mind off running but it's interesting when it's like a either not necessarily values based but approach based so your any sort of relationship we have ends because an expectation has been met so i maybe and i'm thinking so you're listening to the podcast and you're like cool they sound like to me they accept different people's views and, I, and you have all these expectations and then when they stop meeting them yeah. Uh, like, had you known they'd been that aggressive with their views early on, you might, oh, or, or don't know, or yeah, maybe just it's just... people yeah. change and things. Do you want me to tell you what I'm doing with the food? Um, right, yeah, you can put all the veg back. I can see there's some stuff in the fridge we should probably try. What like, see that like, <laughs> green tin? Yeah. Okay. See, get one of them. So, I don't know if I'll use it yet. Just get so that okay. <laughs> This is New World India Pale Ale Northern it Monk. Like, it is, I yeah. Let me just open this so you can hear it. Um, how do I fix this? Oh, God. Okay, so Curtis has managed to... I'll do the Did you use a knife to open the tomato puree? Yeah. Rather than the end of the cap? Right, let me show you this. When you take off tomato puree, you'll see there's a, a pointy end. No, no, just put the whole thing over it and then press down and twist it. I never knew that. Wow. <laughs> Look at that. So that Slap there we it go. On. So now that should open. <laughs> he literally used a knife. Oh, fuck! I may have just been trying to point the tomato puree in the pan, but I squirted it all over the floor. What were we talking about? Beer. So, yes, very good beer. That is not the point of the podcast. Cooking and podcasts and everything is not the point of the podcast. I want to talk to you about career and your career, oh, Curtis. I have one now. <laughs> Don't insult other people. So, anyone who knows me will probably know what Curtis does um he used to be a guitarist so you went to university you did music and then you were a guitarist until you were about what 29 yeah 28 29 um tell me about your career oh cheers, cheers. That, that's I, that, I don't want to get sound for you sipping your beer it's a nice i'll have a sip so yes curtis you like me went to state school uh, liked yeah, playing guitar. Start, start start from the beginning. Well, I guess because well, I was probably good. The, the context, the the subject of this uh, podcast will be career change. It's about how he changed his career and what he did. That pasta's definitely got smaller, hasn't it? Yeah, four hundred grams used to be five hundred grams. Fucking hell! <laughs> wow. But yeah, it's a tiny thing. Yeah. Um... It's a very different sort of podcast. I like it. It's, I'm sure that looks, yeah, fine. So, Curtis, uh, what is it you call me? Controlly Mole. And uh, he says I've implemented a culture of fear in our relationship, both around booze and around cooking and stuff. So, um, and I don't like that he checks everything with me, but he, he, he does. And I don't know how to change it now because... Um, I do have uh, an opinion, the correct opinion, on a lot of things. 
Yeah, but you check now, so I, I can't just say, like, when you ask me if that is the right amount of pasta, I can't just say, like, yes, if it's not, or no, if it is. The cat was boiling, so I thought I'd move out of the kitchen. Okay. Um, so, yeah, tell me about your career. Uh, you went from, from school to uni, yeah. and then your first career. Well, I think that was the first thing, was, yeah, so I was a... I hate saying the word, but I was a professional guitarist or session right. musician, as some people say. Or in... sessional, as some people would say. Or sessions musician. Sorry. It's and, not none of those things. And um, I, yeah, I, I mean, that's the, the first thing. I, yeah, I did that for the best part of my 20s. Um, and, it, I, yeah, straight from school, I was like only, the only thing I could do was play the guitar. I was all right at English. I, you know, a couple of, I was shit at a couple of lessons, but basically my school didn't give any guidance on what you could do. They, they, you know they, your school's bad when you don't even know you can be an electrician. Well, that was my point, is, is actually, I, I, as I got further into it, I was like, no one fucking told me to learn a trade. But anyway, I just thought, right, well, I'm, all I can do is play the guitar. So I went, and I even got told that that was a crowded house, so try something else. So I thought, oh, maybe try me a sound engineer. So I went to Northampton College and did music tech. And those were like the most like dropout years because I just I barely turned up. It was, yeah, I, I didn't actually get a, a <laughs> BTEC national diploma. I got a, like a they give you like a certificate if you just you know turn to, to yeah to give you something. Um, lied my way into university because I hope it, this doesn't it, come and bite you on the ass. I can't really. They can't revoke my degree. No, I know. <laughs> I've t- no, I've told loads of people that like they basically said right entry requirements for university. You need to come and do an audition. And then you need to have um, whatever A-levels or a BTEC National Diploma. So I said, yeah, I've, I've totally got the BTEC National Diploma and passed my audition. Then <laughs> I turned up on the day and you had to go to some sign-up thing. Yeah, yeah, and present your qualifications. And they were like, um, this isn't a BTEC National Diploma. Like, I had moved to London. I was in, you know, accommodation. And, and they were like, this, they, this isn't a BTEC National Diploma. And I was like... This is like a merit certificate. <laughs> yeah, literally. And I was like... Um, I'm here now (laughs) and that was it that's how you go to university so if you're thinking of going to uni and you don't have the right qualifications just just say you have (laughs) Um, or if that really does mean you can't get to university just do the qualifications but uh, yeah but you did the audition which for music is the important thing so it's like you wouldn't be able to play the guitar if if you didn't know enough for that course yeah so one thing I would say is I was a scolding hot guitarist um (laughs) Which I was proud of back then. Uh, I'm a bit indifferent to it now. Just going to put the pasta on. Sorry. Is it spoiled? Anyway, I'm probably getting too too into the weeds with it. But um, yeah, I pl- went and played guitar at uni because I didn't really think of doing anything else. No one ever, no one gave any guidance. I thought, well, I'm good at this. Let's try and do this. Um, uni was actually very good. Looking back, it's not the most sensible career path, but I don't regret it. Um, it led to, you know, a lot of the work that came my way later. But the weird thing was, like, loads of people kind of wanted to be, well, everyone there wanted to be a rock star slash pop star or a session musician. I very much wanted to be a session musician. Like, I had a band that I played in. I think I knew that was never going to get signed. Or even if I did think it was, I realized pretty quickly that because there was very high standards all around me I thought okay these people write amazing songs I write I could write better songs than your average person down the pub but they weren't you know I knew they weren't radio one or anything um so but I was you know I started being people's guitarist and 
I played for a guy who was signed to Island Records on like a development deal. And that was me thinking, oh, this is how it happens. This mm-hmm. is it, you know, because they, you know, and while the deal like didn't touch me, it was his record deal. We were just by agreement, his backing band, me and a few lads on the course. Um, this is while you were at uni? While I was at uni, this guy, and this guy literally quit uni because the development deal looked so promising. Mm. Um, and they put us in really cool studios and we did some good support slots and we did industry showcases. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, this is how it goes. And actually also very quickly realized I was on a treadmill and this is what they do to people and you can't hang your hat on it. But that was a cool experience and there were lots of others like that. But meanwhile, one of my, how it really happened, like, becoming a living for me was one of my best friends from back home who is still my best friend to this day and he's like 12 to 15 years older than me was in one of the country's top um corporate events party bands i guess um and i used to go along whenever they played in london and see them and i just and he made you know a i won't say a handsome living playing for a, a band you know making a very credible living um you know, doing award ceremonies, doing corporate events. And the thing I was really taken by was just the quality of work. Like the fact that they bought home good money and all lived in nice houses, because there's obviously this illusion that musicians are completely penniless. Um, But they all made a good living. They had great equipment. They had costume. They had lights, sound. Everywhere they went, they got a dressing room and a meal. And, you know, and I just thought, and, and, and they did, you know, like I say, it's not glamorous like playing Glastonbury, but I remember just seeing and going, do you know what? This is a totally achievable dream, and all I want is this. And I, at that point, I'd never wanted anything more. I just wanted to do what Andy did with his band. And I sort of told him that. I was like, oh, if I can just do what you do. And he just went, you know, you're at uni. You're on a good path. Keep plugging away. And, you know, if you know we need to get a depth guitarist in, we've got our people already. But, you know, you, we'll keep you in mind as you, you know, develop. And honestly, I just used to like fantasize about being in a band like that, which is, you know what I mean? It was such a livable fancy. It wasn't anything crazy. I wasn't dreaming about being Paul McCartney on the main stage. Like I kind of, maybe I was when I got to uni, but I quickly got to uni, lots of London musicians absorbed the landscape and went, right, no, do you know what? Here's, here's my level. Here's an achievable dream. And it was someone who was from back home. That's the, that's the, the yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, you could go, oh, I didn't need to go to uni. I could have just done that. But actually a lot of things I did, you know, a lot of other um, roads I went down were from contacts made on that uni course. So there is always that argument, but I, you know, I don't regret it at all. No. And you have to um, know which roads you don't want to take as well. And you have to have the experience. It's good to have those early experiences where you see how the industry, like you, like you said, you were sort of on a conveyor belt, weren't you? Of like, mm. um, or treadmill or whatever. Um, of just they sign all these artists, they mm. don't invest in all of them. You're kind of you're just cannon, not like cannon fodder to them, but you're nothing to them really. Yeah. And you have to work really, really, really hard and have all the luck in the world and know all the people in the world and have um, investment and all that kind of thing. Um, and also, I don't. I mean, did you enjoy? did you enjoy like what what compared you know andy's lifestyle to like working with you know x-factor artists Um, and stuff well the irony is because the x-factor artist was another one actually and that's probably worth us exploring briefly but yeah no i actually in fact i've said this to andy loads i remember him i texted him once and he was like at the manchester premier inn after a gig and he just had a cigar and a drink Mm -hmm. and he was going up to bed on a thursday night i remember being at my flat 
probably going to like a shift in the warehouse I worked in part time around uni and thinking, oh, that's all I want is to be in the Manchester Inn. Manchester Premier Inn. I literally used to crave after those, like the trip up the M6 or whatever road it is up there. Like, I, I, yeah, so I craved that. Whereas, yeah, so the example you gave, I, for a while, got myself, and this is still when I was at uni, scratching around, wondering how I was going to make it. I, I got an audition to play for someone who had recently been an X Factor finalist, which I went along to, and his management sold me the dream they said there's a you're gonna have to put in a bit of rehearsal and there's a couple of things to do but then it will be turned into this paid beast and I was like great because they get just some you know that's how they do it they get some student who's about to well I don't think I was I think I was third year of university maybe I'd graduated but you're a newbie I can't remember what what how the timeline fits together but these were early days and I went yeah that's great and it ended up being a very you know well no money Mm -hmm. it was shit demanding rehearsal rooms it was i don't think we ever did a gig we just rehearsed and did studios and i think i gave it about three months and i said guys i i don't know what we're doing here and i didn't get on with the people either it was a really bad fit Um, that's something i've learned early on though i think luckily early on that i don't do things on a promise if i'm doing stuff for free it's because it's like that experience in itself is valuable to me um and that especially when it comes to money and all that kind of thing because the people who respect you pay you up front or yeah. they'll be like promise you this date is when you yeah. get like whatever well, and, there's, yeah. and there's too much of that in this industry as well there is and that's almost why i'm glad that i got all of that out my system in that industry when i was at uni or had just graduated mm-hmm. um doing it later when you're still having that dream oh fuck like, that. no yeah yeah, yeah. And, and that's why you know I'm, I'm glad i got it out my system don't get me wrong i look back and go god my you know because i remember going to my family at christmas yeah i'm playing for a guy in the x factor this is it you wait till you see me and <laughs> what know. did your granddad say about him oh well oh my god i'm gonna have to change his name um let's pretend his name was steven <laughs> it wasn't I I remember I was doing. Uh, I, by the way, I don't want to shit on this guy because well, no, no, I don't mean that. I just meant out. I just meant grandparents and like okay, how grandparents yeah, yeah. were always like, oh, I don't so, know who you are. <laughs> yeah, but this the guy doesn't come out this story well. Okay, so I was back. I went back to my hometown one weekend with the bass player that was also playing in this X Factor band, and we did a like a gig in a cocktail bar for like hundred and fifty quid each. You know, I was still doing that shit, and um, and my grandparents were in the the cocktail bar and. The, the guy, the X Factor guy, was also there. And he kind of tapped my granddad on the shoulder. He went, oh, yeah, I'm Stephen from the X Factor. <laughs> my granddad went, oh, I don't bloody know who the hell you are. <laughs> and he loves telling that story to yeah, this day. Yeah, that was, I didn't bring that up to, uh, to, shit, on, to shit on the guy because I, I think it was, also it's use. Like, everyone, yeah, it's yeah. just what you do when it, you've got some sort of a little profile. But yeah, it's just grandparents will, they just love not knowing. They love who not knowing, don't yeah. they? Well, I've never heard of him. You know, it's like, oh, come. Congrats. I don't know. Who, I don't yeah. know who um, um, so, but you had that experience. Um, but luckily, you, luckily, you knew Andy young enough to know what actually what the, what the real world of gigging as a musician is like, and how good it can be if you do it in quite a, a you know, just, it, well, it's the corporate route. You know, you're yeah. not doing it for artistic creativity, but you can be creative. You can have fun. You can. Um, have a good life and a relatively easy I'm not saying it's hard but relatively in terms of you turn up you do your gig 
you enjoy that day, you go home and, the re- and you can do that two or three times a week and the rest of the week's yours yeah. to do with how, as you like around, you know, learning and all that sort of thing. You sort of had a really good realistic but good view of, of what to aim for, which a lot of musicians don't have. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I say, I actually did get, I suppose the, the way this story progresses now is I actually did get that chance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was still in my third year of uni I was working in uh, like a warehouse in the mornings or in the evenings, depending on the day, just lifting and shifting boxes. Um, I taught guitar in some schools and I was just doing what I could. And Andy's band were creating a splinter band to the same quality of themselves. And they held auditions and I, which I went to and I got and looking back, I don't think they auditioned. Oh, that's Alexa. That's the Let's go see. Alexa, stop the alarm. Would you just have to say Alexa for her to know? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, so looking back, I, I walked into that gig. But yeah, I did go and have an audition. Um, and then, yeah, had like started doing professional gigs that were paid really, really nicely. And travel was covered. And like I say, it was that thing that I dreamed of where I was staying in travel lodges in, you know, <laughs> Liverpool. And, you know, but so actually, 22, well, Oh, I'd have just graduated uni and I was a year late at uni. So uh, 23, yeah, 23. And also, and actually, to be fair, we did some fly gigs as well. So I remember one of the first ones was Venice. We did Copenhagen. Like there was, um, we did Marbella, I remember. There was some really cool ones. And the other thing was, all, everyone else in the band was already doing the stuff I aspired to. Um, and I was actually embarrassed because like, they were full-time musicians like and they seemed really cool to me and i didn't want them to know that well when we land tomorrow morning i'm going straight to the warehouse for a shift now that didn't last too long because i kept calling in sick when i was like abroad on a gig or in manchester in a premier inn (laughs) going hi warehouse i can't come in tomorrow they knew what i was up to and they went we're gonna fire you if you keep doing this and i went and i remember just going that's the leap of faith i need so the warehouse fired me for not turning up one too many times and um, i remember going no that's fucking fine (laughs) <laughs> so yeah and then and then that was obviously the early bread and butter i went on to other gigs that i guess we'll discuss but it was this nice thing where in my early 20s as soon as the warehouse fired me my full-time living was music and i remember going this is awesome i've i've done it and i remember like i remember getting out of like a pretty terrible relationship in my early 20s and moving to peckham where i lived on my own and literally like had my guitars, had my pedals. Um, I lived with this couple, the guy of which I'm really good mates with to this day and just had the best time ever in Peckham. And I remember going out and meeting people. What do you do? I'm a musician and I'm so proud because it wasn't just I'm a musician and they go, oh yeah, thinking you're the dickhead in the corner of a pub. And going, no, I'm a musician and I'm flying to Europe tomorrow. Yeah. They're flying me out to play a gig. Like it was that, you know, I was super stoked with, with the nature of what, what I was doing. But you get, I mean, talk to me about some of like the, the shitty comments you get. I feel like I always had this people either, um, and you know, I'm not asking for specific comments, but that, oh, do you earn enough? Like I've had it on gigs where people are, oh, and does that pay? And do you like literally, and it's often some old money. It was weird. I remember like not that long ago, maybe a couple of years ago, being asked by some kind of old money master of ceremonies person. It's like, oh, and does that, does it pay well, these gigs? It's like, how fucking rude. It's disgusting disgustingly rude and it happens all the time yeah. and like i remember fucking hell i went to uh with my ex-girlfriend we went to her cousin's housewarming in bristol and he was like an aerospace engineer that just bought his first house and you know he was a couple of years younger than me and this is the point where i was making handsome money and this is when i was touring quite regularly and going away for long stints of time and you know making good wedge and um 
And I think it bugged him a bit because I walked into his like he's bought his house with his girlfriend and he was about five foot fucking four. Uh, and All I right, five foot eight. Yeah, and I walked in. I, I remember just I remember walking in and like f- feeling like I was giving off cool vibes at this party, yeah. which is probably a shit thing to say. <laughs> you were but, being a bit of a dick. Probably. But I just remember him coming up to me at this opportune moment when everybody could hear it. Slap me on the shoulder. So, Curtis, what are you going to do when you grow up? Oh. Oh, and like, I remember just, and I remember though, I can't remember, he said it in such a way where he put me on the back foot where I started going, well, no, no, because my salary is this. This is how much I earn oh, per month. God, and oh, I was, you're just panicking to justify. And I, I think I've responded to that badly more than once where you just want people to know, even to this day, because I know our end goal of this podcast was to talk about career changes. <laughs> so I now work for a Formula One team and <laughs> it comes up quite often, you know. Fun, now you're the dickhead slapping people on the back. Well, yeah, like, yeah, but like fun fact about yourself or, you know, people know what I used to do. Whenever you talk to someone about it, and I don't really like talking to people about it because I know they're not going to get it because <laughs> they hear musician and they hear the bloke in the corner of the white lion strumming yeah, Mr. Brightside. Yeah, and or and and they they literally assume you had your Starbucks job on the side the whole time. And they and that's what frustrates me is they don't grasp to quite what a professional level I did it for a few years. And they don't understand the industry. So it sort of taps into your insecurities anyway that we've always had about doing anything creative for money. People for some reason we just have this you're either X factor or you're famous. Or you're a wannabe. Like, we, for some reason in this society, we don't have that middle ground of, no, you can be a jobbing, regular paid, regularly paid musician. Yeah, they just hear musician and they put porn next to it. Mm-hmm. And, like, and I've had it with peers in my current industry. And I've had the conversations quite recently where someone goes, uh, so I go, oh, so they, they ask about the career change. So I don't know if this is skipping ahead, but I'll go, oh, you know, well, I had my eye on 30 and I did want to stop because I thought I didn't want to be like on tour forever. So I wanted a career and I, you know, wanted to work in sport and, you know, I thought I was good at writing. Um, so I took this big pay cut to work for this PR agency and they'll go, oh, so when you're a musician, were you like living hand to mouth? And I'd be like, and I was like, no, no, I took a, like I say, yeah. I took, I took an enormous pay cut to start again as a junior executive in a fucking PR agency. And, and younger than me. it took me years to exceed the salary I used to earn. And they, um, and they go, oh yeah, but oh no never having any money as a musician. I'm there going, no, you're not listening yeah. to what I'm fucking yeah. saying. <laughs> Especially when you think of um, like probation periods and all that kind of thing. Like you move to a job. It's like, you can be let go of straight away. You can, yeah. you know, and, and yeah, no, like there's no massive security with that. Whereas if you've got contracts, you have multiple revenue streams, you've got loads of like, if you're gigging for multiple bands, and one drops you another you'll have all these other ones and you you yeah you, um it's more secure than anything if if you get your contracts right and stuff um because other than covid people will always want entertainment yeah um it's weird actually talking about it now and like sounding all proud of it because like i say i just actively don't talk about it because also i'm so um you know so so proud of what I do now and it it defines me now just like being a musician defined me when I was a musician I kind of don't go into it but it's weird talking about it now because I remember quite fondly what I did like I think day to day I kind of just go oh bloody hell I was a musician but actually I'm I was quite you know I loved doing it I had great days it afforded me genuinely the best days of my life I I do think that even though what I do now is fun but I don't think you know you probably couldn't enjoy what you do now when you were that age. And I think you, um, 
I mean, I, I say this and it's probably not fair for me to say this, but I think there's a level of maturity or training that you need to deal with the office world that a lot of people need. Um, and, uh, you know, I always bring in class and stuff into that because um, I, I really, really struggled in my early 20s in just in office environments and knowing myself and knowing how to handle stuff. You know, I, I, I really did. Um, and I'm not saying you did too, but you probably wouldn't have been able to appreciate it as much in your 20s, um, maybe. And and you, you could have been risking wanting to go the other way. Like how much... I think what I've always had when I did freelance stuff was knowing because um, I did obviously the range of creative stuff, but it was knowing that I know I can get into a job. I know how to, I know that I can crack this code to go stable um, if I needed to. I think that's enough. Which um, one's enough for you? Um, so we're now obviously, I think I gave, that was your one. That's my, is that enough for you on this Yeah, one? yeah, it's plenty, okay, yeah. Put a little bit more on mine. Can save the rest And I'm going to put some uh, Tabasco on. Oh, we're so going to eat that later. Um, oh yeah, I might have a bit of... Um, on Tabasco? Or? Um... I'll have a little bit of Tabasco. This looks awesome, by the way. Thank okay, you. So no, you made it. Yummy. And I think I knew in a way that you didn't how easy it is to get a job in a company. Not like your dream job, not anything like that, but you can switch. All it is is about branding, your CV, cover letter, you know, knowing how to um, shape your skills, which I think when you're younger, we're just told, oh, you know, you have to be this and this and this. It's like it's almost about who you are as an identity rather than, no, no, just shape your CV and you can, you'll be able to get a job, um, you know, have that settled, stable life. So I think because I've always known it that way around, I've never been that, um, I've been happy to kind of do all the freelancey stuff. Um, anyway, that was about me. Let me put my this thing is, down. This is the best food I've <laughs> ever eaten in my life. Um, we can eat the food first and then pick up the conversation after because it might get squelchy. Let's do that. Okay. I'm really sleepy after that. It was like nice dinner. Thank you very much. Yeah, well, you're welcome very much. It was um, it was heavy pasta. It was very good pasta. It was gluten free, so it's not that bad. But uh, we did pay. Yeah, apparently we get twenty five percent less pasta nowadays. Every it's happening everywhere. Thatcher's anyway, Britain. Thatcher's Britain. Anyway, so I've got my nice sleepy decaf tea. You got your beer. What sort of beer is this? Session IPA. So where were we we were talking about we sort of covered a bit about the rudeness that um you get when you talk about being a musician and people's assumptions about it but i was very interested in how and this is something i've talked about and something i've always been quite obsessed with and i don't know what it is about personalities or upbringings or anything that make us similar in this way but that sense of status and identity through your work which is a very normal thing everyone seems to you know, feel better or worse about themselves depending on, you know, their employment status. But for you, it was a frustration that people didn't seem to understand that actually, no, you had a good job as a guitarist um, and you enjoyed it and you were happy with that. Um, and now you're in a job that you similarly feel, well, you feel less insecure about because people know that it's quite a good job. Mm. But talk to me, yeah, about that sense of your identity and how important it is to you that your job kind of, I don't know, makes, it's not an insecurity thing. I don't want to reduce it to being like, oh yeah, you you need to feel like, you know, well, I've, like you've I've, got a job that you show off about or anything. But there, there was definitely something I was picking up on that, that you wanted people to know that you, being a guitarist was a good job. Yeah, it was, no, that was just a respect thing. Um, I don't think the identity thing came into it as, or comes into it for much as, to, as anymore. 
I'm sorry, I had a stroke. Um, so, yeah. So I think probably when I was at uni, I wanted nothing more than to be a musician. I love telling people, yeah, I'm a professional musician. As I got older and realized what everyone's perception of that is, I just hated being asked what I did. What do you do? A musician? Oh, do you get paid like money for that? Oh, fuck off, you know. Um, and I wasn't proud to say I was a musician. And even now, I'm not proud to tell people I used to be a musician. Even though I loved it, it was... Um, I, I just don't like having the conversation. I don't like... Yeah, so the frustration is the people not understanding. Um, the status thing, I guess I'd be lying if I said it didn't come into it a little bit with what I do now definitely not driven by that my goal i think once i made the change into because obviously i didn't love the first job i did when or the first yeah first job i did after i switched out of music but i it made me realize okay it's very important that i love what i do and i'm proud of what i do because i did love the activity of being a musician i loved the just the day-to-day that came with it which actually does mean not working a lot of the time like you said i did a lot of you know, having a lot of days to myself and the only job I had to do was to go on stage in the evening. So that would be, so that's the motivator really is actually what my happiness, you know, what does my day look like? And yeah, the status thing, no, actually no. Don't don't get me wrong. I am, I do not dislike telling people I work for a Formula One team now. I'd be lying if I said that doesn't come into it. It's not what drives me. Yeah, it never was. I mean, in the whole process when you were going for those roles that yeah it it wasn't that was where it was coming from it was coming from a passion as well because you have always loved formula one and you know it inside out like it's it's i i mean i've i've known you what five well i've known you about seven eight years now but we've been together the best part of yeah four and a half five years and it's always been very clear that when you like something you really like it and you learn all about it and you find out about it and um uh yeah so before we go into the switching bit, uh, just briefly, so you did the stuff um, with all the corporate bands and everything, and then you got to spend a lot of time as a guitarist in like Monaco, and you did cruise ships and all that kind of thing, sort of touring. Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit about that because it wasn't, a, you know, it we can we'll cover it briefly because I'm I'm interested in the the switch. Sorry, yeah, I mean it's weird because we're almost that almost feels like the biggest part, the part you alluded to, but uh, yeah, I obviously. I did the corporate band and then did lots of other types of gigging, you know. Um, But then, but yeah, I guess in my mid-twenties, a gig came my way with a band called the London Soul Section who did a lot of travel. And and they had regular gigs in Scandinavia and they would basically go out and play these party boats um, and literally play every night for six weeks. Um, And that was a big chunk of the year and then another big chunk of the year was going to Monaco for three times and playing in the Hotel de Paris again every night making wedge every night in a really extraordinary environment and then also they did some scattered gigs and I had my scattered gigs and this was a point where when I say I was a gigging musician where I just barely had a day off you said to me the other day because obviously towards the tail of end of that you know I was with you and you got to see that yeah I came home and it was four days then I go away again for weeks um and those were re- that was really the when I think of oh yeah I was a professional musician, while that whole corporate gigs thing was the goal. This was what just what took my life in a direction I never saw it going in, where, like I say, weeks on end in Sweden and in Finland, and 
the, the 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 playing music actually this is where i not fell out of love but where i stopped giving a shit about the music element i just loved the lifestyle because it i mean it was let's be real it was decadent it was a band that loved to party and be quite excessive and that suited me very very well and i just had the best days <laughs> because it, it was people this sounds like an exaggeration um but it's not we would go away and we would get drunk for six weeks <laughs> and i mean get drunk the first night wake up hungover go to work play a gig get drunk and it just uh, but just and like i mean like all sorts of you're meeting people from all over the world you're meeting people of different job titles it was just life at sea is very very different and it was weird because they were my music years when i talk about now yeah i was a musician but that seems like the smallest part of it I just went to Scandinavia, you know, and met a lot of people and did a lot of things. So I guess you wanted me to keep it brief, but between that and the Monaco adventure, which is a whole beast within itself that I've just got crazy stories from and everything else I did with that band, um, that defined the best years of my my gigging, I guess, until I transitioned out of it. I mean, you can talk way more about it if you want. I mean, it was sort of, um, I mean, sea life is is insane there's nothing like it i only did it for what in total probably about 10 12 weeks i did two weeks then i did seven weeks and four weeks i think yeah between sort of january and june but it is you're in a whole other world aren't you it does feel like the outside world doesn't exist was it like that Mm. for you when you were on the boat yeah no completely it was um and i had no idea how i held you know a relationship while you know for a few years of that because literally like even something as simple as wi-fi and just connecting is was not a thing but yeah not only was i in scandinavia for the whole time which you know yeah it's not um you know it's not north korea it's not like completely mm-hmm. cold but but it is very very different culturally and then also the sea life around that is just its own world you're just disconnected you're meeting such interesting people you're doing weird things you're and, and it's just um and your life was and weird. you're feeling like a rock star on stage as well at the same time like there is that fun of being on the stage on the friday and saturday nights where yeah. people are having a great time so you've got that energy as well i know it's it was hard slog during the week and in the afternoons but the mm. the night times were like oh it felt like party time yeah you like yeah you would play a crazy party and you'd just be playing whatever bollocks was in the charts but there's all these drunk finnish students they go mental it's a huge old stage and then you'd go and just and they were my you know best mates at the time we we you know toured together for a good few years you and your best mates would just go up to the top deck where there was a club and and we just have it large till the early hours and it was weird because the it's probably when i not fell out of love with music but it, I just didn't give a shit. Like the, the fact it was just very handy that I could play guitar and that facilitated that me getting paid every night to do such a thing. Um, at that point, while I never stopped loving listening to music, I didn't give a, f- like I was just, I was a level of guitar that I needed to be and that was fine. Um, I had no, yeah, you know, just some musicians love it and you've met musicians. They're like, you know, always talking about what guitar they're going to buy, what pedals they've got, who they've been studying. Oh, I could no, do you know what? It was so nice because I, got on stage at night did that went and had the party whatever the next day i go for a walk around whatever city i was in i you know at the time i was doing lots of writing for fun like trying to write fiction and trying to write non-fiction even um and it was just bliss it really was i remember really it was the when um 
when I first got to know you on the boats and your routine was such a clear part of you. And I mean, I, I think uh, wouldn't take a psychologist to figure out that's probably part of my attraction to you as you have a very clear sense of your routines and you all and, and a clear sense of what you like, what brings you joy and you fill your days with those. Um, and I remember when you were, you were sort of like my mate, you showed me around basically on those first few weeks and let me know that, oh, the boat stops for 45 minutes here and this is when I go for my walk. You know, you recommend me go for my walk there and that's when you would go around the castle at, at Turku, wasn't it, I think? Mm-hmm. And um, and you would just read in your cabin for hours. I mean, it was when you read so, so much, wasn't it, as well? Mm. Um, you're a massive reader and it's like you had this... It was a really good balance of that extrovert being on stage side, your completely quiet hours to yourself. Because I imagine you spent most of your days pretty much alone and on your own time. And then like the party party bit afterwards. Um, But it's interesting that thing of, yeah, not wanting to improve at your craft anymore, which is a point that most musicians will get to if they're happy with the corporate stuff, I think. Mm. Like it's hard to... Not not the corporate side, but if you're happy doing covers and we all know that it doesn't take you long, like you can get, like someone can give you a list of songs to do that day for that night and you've got a few notes and you'll never really, really learn them mm. sort of inside out because you're learning them just enough for that thing. You're not doing anything creative and... Um, well, yeah, but I, I was being creative in other ways. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, I found writing at this yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. And actually I found probably what eventually led me to where I am now, where I started... Like I, I, I was a passionate rugby fan. Still, always was. Like, still am, and to this day. And I used those years where I, um, I was in cabins and dressing rooms or whatever to be knocking out a blog for rugby online. And I got in with you know a couple of good things online. One really particularly good rugby platform that afforded me to completely unpaid just write my opinions on rugby and stick them out on the internet to quite a good audience and and that I was thriving on just almost having a footprint in rugby yet being you know in England yet being holed up in my own little party world somewhere off the coast of Estonia you know (laughs) um so that was the that I think that's because that became my creative outlet I definitely got used to the fact of what my you know okay the guitar was a something I'd loved doing for years but it became very normal it became what I did every night and it got me paid I didn't want to be practicing all day I wanted to go and see the city I was in because that was exciting even though I went to the same cities a hell of a lot I could always just explored new parts and things and yeah I did a bunch of writing and I think that kept me pretty sane and to your point earlier yeah probably for my personality type this is why i'll never match those days like a a nine to five and i don't do nine to five i do way beyond that but really doesn't suit me it's like you know don't get me wrong i you know on balance it's the best thing for me but oh my god to, to to have your day to be completely introverted and then just have your evening to let all your energy out and get all your energy from people fucking marvelous like i, I just it's not workable i could not do that now on a just in, in this stage in life, it couldn't happen. But for my 20s, it was perfect. Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder if it is just our 20s, if there's something in having your days to, like you said, be introvert. But you can be introverted and creative. Like, you can still be productive. But I wonder what that switch is if we were to just work at night. Like, if you know what you're getting done during the day. Mm. Um, 
Like, are we meant to like, yeah, get all our energy out at night time? I wonder. Um, let's go back to the um, yeah, the writing thing because obviously that was the the first thing that um, well gave you the tools really to switch. Um, but also it was before your music, so you did a journalism sort of module, didn't you? On in your degree, it wasn't completely music. You'd always had a bit of a flair for writing. Yeah, um, I mean, you could go right back to when I was like a kid and. Mum, I'm going to write a book. Can you get me? And she'd buy me some like thing from whatever paper chase was back then. Coleman's, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I'd write like, you know, a little fiction in felt tip. Like, oh yeah, that was always my thing. I remember getting feedback all through school. You're a good writer. Um, not something I ever pursued, obviously, because come secondary school, I was in a school that didn't support ambition, didn't support talent. <laughs> didn't um, support like basic GCSE grades or basic skills. Yeah, so- it's like, like you're made fun of if you... You were made fun if of you're me. average. <laughs> I told you go on about class a lot. I once told the people at the PR agency I worked at before my current job, and they were all public school. And I remember they were all talking about how public school is not that bad. It's fine. Some of my friends were a bit rah rah. I remember saying, "Let me illustrate this for you," because I'm the only one here that went to fucking state school. It was embarrassing to be clever. It was embarrassing to have the knowledge that you know. And they all, I saw their faces go. Oh, okay, that is shit. Yeah. Like, they couldn't comprehend it, yeah. That is not just your... That's not just a bad school. That's, like, a lot... Like, most, I would dare say. Yeah, just most, yeah. So what was my point? Um, Yeah, so... So At that point, I guess, writing, while I was good at it, just got B's in English and, you know, then went and did some guitar. I guess... Oh, there's not much more to it than that, really. But at uni, you you say so you did the journalism module there. So yeah. that and was that just yeah? Why did you choose that elective? Um, yeah, just always. I thought yeah, yeah, always something I kind of fancied on the side. In fact, years before any other thing with writing in the cabin on ships, the thing that actually was the catalyst was our friend Kirsty. Um, who I think you've recorded one of these with. I don't know if it's yep. out there yet. Yep, I think it'll be next week. And she was also in a band that I used to debt for her yeah. and you were in that band. Yeah, so she was in one of those early corporate bands I played in. And um, we were in Spain and we were in a transfer from our hotel to the soundcheck. And we were all doing, if you weren't like a professional musician, what would you do? And someone was saying, I would do this, I would do that. And I said, oh, I'd like to be a rugby journalist. I'd like to write about, or a sports journalist. I'd like to write about sport. And she, I'm going to do her accent, right? Don't do it. <laughs> she was like, oh, I've got a designer match day program for for a rugby team. <laughs> so she, um, sorry, if sorry, Kirsty. Um, no, no. She, so she said she designed a match day program for, <laughs> for like a, a local low division rugby team. But she said there was a bit of budget there. Did I want a column, you know, once every home game? And I went, yeah. I, you know, and, and it was awesome because that's the first time someone... Again, I was probably at this stage just getting used to being paid to be a guitarist. And she was just like, yeah, I'll, yeah, there's budget. I'll pay you to write an A5, I don't know, what, 300 yeah. words about. And I said, what do you want me to write? Oh, whatever you want. So oh, it was a great starter, actually. I probably still got the stuff somewhere. Just, yeah. And I think it lasted a couple of seasons where I just go, oh, shit, I've got to do my column. Um, I'll write about England's selection at fullback this week. Mm-hmm. And I just knocked it out. And it would go, you know, in print, you know, whatever, however many people actually read this. But it went in a printed match day program at this local, well, I say local, it must have been enough to have a budget for a program, uh, rugby club. And I used to get the screen grab and put it online the following week and just get people's opinions. So that is kind of where I was like, oh, I can, I'm not going to say I can make money by writing because it was, I think it was like 20 pounds an article. Mm -hmm. 
and I think it went down to 10. Mm-hmm. And then I said to her, look, if there's no budget, I'll just do this for free because I like having my toe in. Yeah. And I think that's probably what inspired a little bit later me to keep up with doing those things. That's so good of Kirsty as well because it's not, it's literally her asking the questions, having the curiosity and then connecting you to an opportunity literally based on finding out about you first rather than like, do you know anyone who wants to match day program? You know, it was actually helping someone who knows what they want to do. And that is always that, you know, when people say you need to know what you want to do. And it's because when people ask you a question, you know, you've got an answer because things won't come to you. If you don't at least have some sort of clear idea and know how to verbalize that, you never know who the person's going to, you know, I mean, yeah, it was, um, she's a, she's a good egg. Yeah. No, you're a really good person who cares about people and wants the best for people. So yeah, it was, um, it was good. Um, and then you, that was your main writing thing. And then you did some stuff for uh, another rugby platform online and through that you met people as well, which was always, which was quite a good that's been good well it was it was good and bad because i like basically this rugby platform was this still exists and it was actually quite controversial um and it wasn't mine it was this um well i've never met the guy he was just a guy online who basically had this big rugby platform that ruffled feathers in the industry but he did it unpaid and he basically got unpaid writers to do blogs and stuff for him which is what i did and in the early days, I really sh- like I was shouting about it, going, "Ah, oh, read my new blog on this rugby platform," and you know, used it to get my name out there. I mean, God, you fast forward, and like people in like, and obviously then I, you know, fast forward, I started working in sport, and I got to know people in rugby and in other sports, and people were like, "Oh, you're the person behind that account, aren't you?" And I was like, "No, I really hope you don't think I am." Because, you know, it it's one of those things where it helped me at the time, but I wouldn't want to be held accountable. Like, I wouldn't want to be that person that, yeah. that did some of the things that account did. So it was that weird thing. And I, again, don't want to shit on something that was so important, but I wanted to disassociate myself with it because it was more damaging than it was help in the first place. But like to actually answer your question, no, it... Um, it opened doors. I think I got to go to a few events mm-hmm. off the back of it. One of my best friends now, Matt, he's a lot younger than me, but he is now, he's a journalist. He's a sports journalist mm-hmm. in the city. And I met him through that. I remember he was one of the other contributors. And, you know, there was obviously like a group chat for anyone that contributed to it. And I remember I had a spare ticket for rugby tonight, which is like match of the day, but for rugby. And I said, oh, mate, do you want a spare ticket to this? And we went on a night out and we've been friends ever since, mm-hmm. literally going to a game with him on Sunday. So, mm-hmm. you know, these things create amazing but also it's not just the opportunities i think often we think about things in terms of what connected me with this person and that person it's like no but also skills based you were able to write more like you that that is building up skills and i think too often we forget that you've had time to hone your craft and to get better at writing and to think of like we're talking about conversations it's like you don't know what you think about something until you'll set the task either talking about it or writing about it and you're the way you talk about rugby games and Formula One and, and all sport, it's like I always feel like I'm sat listening to a commentator. You have the terminology so quickly to hand and are able to articulate what's going on in a game, what, what themes are underlying it, underpin a game and all that sort of thing in a way that just blows my mind. And yes, there's a talent behind that, but also I imagine the actual skill of writing um at least more regularly while you were a guitarist would have would have helped that as well as all the contacts and all that kind of thing um that's just me telling you (laughs) but i mean i don't know if you no it's fair it's fair 
Yeah. <laughs> you don't think so? You think no? I don't have anything to add, but it's it's a fair comment. <laughs> I'm like, oh shit, maybe it's like, no, I was always a good rat. Um, but yeah, there's the practice of that. Like, you know, when we, I look at my experience, and it's like, no, I've had, have learned stuff through the experience. I haven't just existed in mm. in the world. Um, so when did you start thinking mm, this isn't the, the musician stuff isn't gonna last for me? So I. I had in my late twenties. I started to put my eye on thirty because I think it was just a thing where, like we've said a million times already, made fine money, but it weren't going any further. So whereas you know people that have careers build and build and build, and the workplace pays a pension, and there was also not just financial. There was like a mental thing as well where I was like, um, I, I, I want a career. I feel like I you know I can well like I say write was the one skill at the time, but yeah, I feel like I got something here and I think I wanted to be in sport I thought I don't want to be a musician forever it'd be awesome to work in sport I think I said it to myself quite boldly whether I believed it I didn't know I thought okay well let's get to 30 let's keep having this fun let's keep touring let's keep partying when we get to 30 let's really start looking at exits and I went and did like a day course at um sports beat I did like a journalism course and I thought right I'm just going to keep doing things like this meeting people doing little things so I've got something to hang my hat on um think uh met you of course and you i think learned about my ambitions and started checking some copywriting my way that was great because again i was like oh i'm earning a little bit of money from doing copy it wasn't sports copywriting but it was copywriting um which was which was cool so yeah i was very much thinking about it and the other motivation i should say was um just the even though i you know i i i wasn't settled at the time people around me I was you know you meet people when you're touring who are trying to do marriages and there's kids back home and you know just just I, you just saw things where you're like this isn't a thing to do in your 30s you quickly become the old man it's fine in your 20s and it sounds like like I'm shitting on like Andy who we talked about at the start is way older than that and he uh, still doing it and it's not a problem because it suits his way of life but and it's a different thing he's not on a cruise ship for six weeks away from he's his away partner is different yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah I think um I had my own 30 and then I think a hot mess of things happened at once where I was touring with the soul section quite heavily and the relations there got quite fraught. Um, Yeah, I was falling out with my best friends and in particular the person that ran the band and well, yeah, I'm sure and I'm sure there are two sides to why it happened. Um, But that got very tense and basically the band leader didn't certainly didn't like the way I worked and found it frustrating to be around me and vice versa and it is what it is which was a real shame I remember thinking this is not a good situation I think I need to get myself out of this now I had so many other irons in the fire as well like I had plenty of other work on it I kind of wasn't scared and think I think even you and me were staying in because I was with you by this point you and me were staying in Ealing with your friend Hannah Mm -hmm. I remember getting a voice note from him basically giving me some sort of ultimatum and I, me going, yeah, I'll stuff you then, I'm going to walk away. Um, I remember just not being that worried because I had a bunch of other stuff on. I think I still had another tour with that company. Um, and I, it was a conversation with one of your friends mm. who was working in a PR agency and just needed a, a like an executive, like an assistant. And I remember just, we were hungover. And I remember, you know, when you're a bit hungover and you're loose and you go, oh, I could do something like that. And she was like, yeah, well, send me a CV. And I didn't understand what the company was, what it did. You know, it all sounded very dry. But I remember going, oh, it sounds like a job where I can do a little bit of writing in that. Um, 
and actually so you fast forward and i got that job mm. like fuck knows how completely unqualified i think well you weren't unqualified but i think it was also about getting like knowing that if you wanted this career you needed to just know what it was like to be in an office like you hadn't ever yeah worked yeah well, I, was, five. I was 28 and it did, and while that was two years ahead of schedule it felt like a good time to roll the dice i just had this fallout with the people who'd provided the main brunt of my freelance living for a long time and while i could have lent into my other freelance work i remember going oh this it's weird that that's all falling apart while i've had this conversation let's just go with it so i went with that you know i literally finished up my last tour at christmas i was thinking about today i did my last tour basically sober in fact sober mm. um which is odd <laughs> because they were all so messy but i remember that when i just being so fed up and checked out i didn't socialize with anyone um i just was quite reclusive for it and had really good sleep i ate really well I've not done this since. Um, and I just, and I remember I just came home completely refreshed and, you know, finished up, had Christmas. Then what, January 2nd or whenever, you know, walked into this office and tried to figure out what this PR firm in the city did and what I, my role was in it. And that's how it went. Like, you know, I still, I, I weaned myself off the gear. Obviously, I didn't do any more tours, but you and me had a residency at the Meridian in Piccadilly. So Thursday night, I'd come and play the acoustic guitar while you sang. That was nice to do. And I think I still, yeah, I still did weekend gigs at that point, didn't I? So any wedding band and, you know, just picked up. Well, yeah, band. well, you were working while I was in Paris. So you were living in Maidervale and I was in Paris. Mm. And it was it was later on that summer when I came back. Um, and that's when we did the the acoustic thing. But yeah, you had you had like three or four other bands that you were gigging with. Yeah. Um, and we we'd see each other every couple of weeks or every few weeks sometimes. Mm. Um, but you, yeah. So you, you were in this role, and it was around that time you you started to be quite because you were always sort of thinking of journalism. But I think you, while you're doing in in this role, you started to think, no, I want to be in sport. Like I. I'm not sure how clear you had been on the sports thing as like, oh, I can do this, but in sport. Because in your role, you did three months marketing assistant sort of stuff and then you switched to client side, didn't you? Yeah, well, yeah, no, I mean, the whole thing was like, I think everyone had the conversation. Um, I was like, okay, that sounds all right. I wonder if I can go and get my head around that and then do it in sport. That was always the thing, like, you know. Um, and yeah, I had, th- I think it was six months Six, like, you know, I'll be candid, pretty terrible months. I, it was a horrible false start. And we're going, I've just given up my gigging, which obviously I could have gone back to. But at the time I was thinking, oh, I've given it all up, walked away, and I'm now in an office and it's not going well. I didn't have a fucking clue what was going on. I'd never been around such a, like, large proportion of Tories. like <laughs> And a range of personalities yeah. and learning a whole new language, like the passive-aggressive thing in companies yeah. I've talked about before um, is insane and you have to rewrite emails seven times because you can't actually say what you mean. Yeah, no, it's yeah, it was all just confusing and baffling. The weird thing was, I think I was actually, in hindsight, not bad at the job. I mean, the, the manager I had made me think I was terrible. and But, um, you know, I, yeah, so I flipped across to the PR team, which turned out was way more relevant to what I wanted to do anyway. And again, it was still the same, you know, God, I was like, God, everyone here is ruthless and I don't understand this industry and I don't understand. But I thought, oh, but I think I understand how PR works. And I think and it's actually very, very similar to journalism. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, so I thought, okay, this, but for that was how I had that revelation. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, immediately started interviewing at sports PR agencies. And I think it took me, 
two or three before I found one that gave me a gig. Mm-hmm. And then I was into it. Do you know what I mean? I, you know, it was, it was, I was working with, with sports clients. It, it was a whole year, them. wasn't it? You did a whole year at that first place. Then you did a whole year at the second place. Is that right? It, the first place I was just a few days short of a year, like finished up at the Christmas and went and started at the, the sports PR agency in Soho. Um, and then that one was a year and a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you went to Formula One. Um, with the, yeah, I mean, what sort of what sort of foundation did the the sports PR thing? I mean, it was it was a better job for you. Like you enjoyed it more than the previous one because that just wasn't in sport or anything. So I imagine it made more sense to you. Yeah, I guess suddenly, and you got to remember the whole time I'm going, Jesus, you used to be a musician. How have I done, you know, switched into this so quick? So, well, yeah, I was working for. Well, the weird thing when you're in an agency, and I guess most people have this, is, you know, you have like five accounts and one of them's awesome. One of them's pretty good. The other three are shit. You know, mm-hmm. I wanted to work in sport. I wanted my day to day to be dealing with writing about sport, dealing with sports media, doing briefs for sports athletes. You know, that's what I wanted. And my main account was Bellator MMA. So for people that don't know who that is, that's like you imagine UFC, Conor McGregor. Bellator is another company that does the same thing. They're one of the UFC's competitors. So I got to go to fight nights and work with the fighters and hold their, you know, host their interviews and sometimes do their interviews. And, um, and it was just incredible. I I still miss that. I wish I'd have done that for like five years. Uh, but obviously an opportunity came away sooner. That was amazing. Um, you know, did a few, you know, did a, did a motorcycling team, did a sailing team, did, um, some stuff for Nielsen sports stats, but then also it's a PR agency, like I say, so you also had some shit accounts. So won't say what they were, but there were some <laughs> fitness apps. There were some uninspiring, uninspiring things that I had. And also this was the other thing where it dawned on me that I would, cause I was probably 29 for this one. I was the office junior. So I got people who were 26 telling me, can, can you wrap up this sample for this influencer and take it to the post office? And I'm going, ah, oh, <laughs> I appreciate I am paying my dues, but I'm slightly too old and intelligent to be wrapping a fucking, which is an awful thing to say. No, uh, but at the same time, it's like you have done that stuff in your early 20s in different roles. Like it's you could have, I don't know, doing the leads and stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's not, you don't need to learn this stuff to learn patience or teamwork or to get good at your job or any of that stuff um which I think is what pisses me off about where I mean you can't just say your age shouldn't automatically get you a job obviously but there are certain skills you can pick up if you've done other roles the problem is we are um sort of office based jobs and media industries don't understand the range of skills you pick up doing all these other jobs you know you have to really spell it out to them actually when I'm a guitarist I have to learn so much about uh, relationship building and management and um, last minute things and adapting to change and punctuality and there's so many skills and making stuff work no matter what Um, and yeah and adapting to like literally just anything being thrown at you yeah. and but people don't see it in that way they just think oh you just turn up and play guitar well, um, i've actually i've seen it a few times um actually in formula one and in mma where um because they're live events you know and there's a certain degree of 
like when you're in a corporate band, you know, working out where the loading is and working with a local crew to get in. There's there's these elements with live sport. I remember some Italian, we were doing a fight night in Milan. I remember the Italian promoter, like, and this was a fight night on telly. This is a large scale international thing. It was on Sky Sports. And I remember the promoter losing his shit and gesticulating, uh, you know, very, I don't want to say stereotypical Italian, <laughs> but it was all hand gestures and shouting at me um about you know because i think something needed to go in a van or something needed to and um i remember just dealing with it like i dealt with so many sound engineers production managers you know client liaisons you name it but i remember my colleagues around me crumbling because they've worked in offices their whole lives you know i remember they you know this is them being let out for their weekend away do you think i'm there going no no events when you've done what i've done your bread and butter there is a way to deal with that kind of thing. I remember going, wow, that's so transferable. And But even live, live events, knowing how to, you know, for example, set up a PA if it's needed, anything like that. Like, you know, um, yeah, you know where everything goes. You understand just such a range of things um, that, yeah, go beyond your job role. But you wouldn't have if you hadn't had all this experience. Um, so anyway, yeah, you're talking about like on certain accounts and how it can get sort of, um wearing and paying your dues like you said wrapping up the presents or wrapping up parcels and stuff and feeling that frustration um well there's a there's one good story Mm. from again this the pr agency i was at where so the pandemic hit right and you and me were living in that flat in islington and at this point i did feel like i had my head around the gig and yes i hadn't been doing it for years but my age and my natural way of carrying myself i thought i shouldn't be the junior of this team like i'm you know, and I tried not to be, well, I didn't let it show, um, but I, I tried not to be bothered by the fact that people way younger than me were managing me and things. I thought, you know, that's okay. It is what it is. I've made life, cho- life choices I've made. But I just remember working for that one particular company that that made a fitness product and we had samples in our house in the pandemic piled up to you know, we had samples everywhere, under the bed, behind the TV, which is a fucking joke looking back, you know, the fact that a company just expects you in the pandemic, your house to become a stock room, but yeah. that's where we were at. Um, and every day, do you remember, I used to call couriers to come to the door to take these things and take this fitness product to Liam, what's his name, from One Direction, <laughs> and like David Beckham, like posting out to like influencers. Um, and I just remember where they got this like... Uh, super special product they were gifting and they wanted me to gift wrap it up all nice and you know me when i gift wrap <laughs> you're terrible i just like a dog's attacked it and i don't give a fuck that's always how i've wrapped presents and i'm like my job description was not you're gonna have to wrap presents for fucking celebrities you don't give a shit Learn about um presents. and this is the point where i was going no i want to be working in sports pr i like the portion of my day where i'm writing a press release about a major fight night I don't want to be... So that's where an agency is frustrating. But I just remember it was like late on a Friday night and like they wanted to see a picture of how I'd wrapped the thing before I called the courier. And they had like a comment on the bow. Yeah, well, this was... And they were based in LA. They were like these really sassy PRs that we were reporting into. And I just remember coming back going, Curtis, that bow looks a little too loose. Can you try again? You could have a practice on a smaller box. I remember just... I just remember just wanted to punch the hell out of my laptop and, you know... (laughs) Um, and honestly, this was the pandemic. So this is a time where we were all just so afraid of being furloughed and being made yeah. redundant. And, and stressed anyway. Yeah. Well, so. Uh, so I remember I, I did it, but I, I basically said to my colleagues uh, on whatever the, you know, 
instant messenger we used was just going this is ridiculous this was not in my fucking job description <laughs> like i lost my shit i remember my account director really good guy still a friend of mine uh tom basically that night just sent me a massive package of craft beer <laughs> and he went you you didn't deserve that mate <laughs> and i think he knew he knew yeah. i was too i hate to say it but i was too old to put up with that shit yeah you do like that stuff is fine at a certain age but i'm a 29 year old fairly in, at the time 29 year old fairly intelligent man and you're telling me my bow is not tight enough you know and you just go just fuck off and it's yeah quite- well no i think it's also no send it to there are gift wrapping services yeah. you can do like they 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 have the budget to yeah. do that that that's what would annoy me it's not whether someone's intelligent or not it's like no it's a waste of your time that's all it is you yeah. don't have the skills to do that like you're not a present rapper um yeah. and your time needs to be spent better well exactly it's just the it was the indignity of it because we've all don't get me wrong like i was saying earlier when i was at um uni i worked in a warehouse and that was fine you know shift those boxes fine no problem you know it did loads of that i always had part-time jobs and rubbish i think it was the fact that i'd finally got myself into a skilled <laughs> career and that was being like it's like when um rachel says she she's gonna finally work in fashion and will never have to make coffee again and then like her job is making coffee for oh people. it's literally that's what it is um so you knew you wanted to do sport pr you were kind of still wondering about sports journalism and stuff but then i think after maybe after the present wrapping thing you you just got more determined you did your year at the agency um and that's when i think you kind of upped your game a little bit to to just make the move and you'd had like again we talk about experience most people would need a few years but you've got all the years of life experience and work experience behind you then you've got your two years uh, agencies um you know one uh, one different agency one sports agency um and so it was time to kind of start looking at your dream company or you know a dream field um did you get were you specifically looking at formula 1 or was it yeah i wanted it to be football or formula 1 uh mainly formula 1 um and i applied for a few jobs all at once and thank god the one i got is the one i got because i love the team i work for and i think that was pretty much the number one goal in fact i remember saying to um your brother at some family gathering in northamptonshire i was going yep yeah, no i'm you know determined i want to work for a sports team and you know specifically someone like x i said my current employer and he was like yeah yeah you know and, and even if that doesn't happen i went no no it will happen i said i think it's going to take five to ten years but i said it will happen <laughs> And about six months month. later, I no, got it. It took one month because yeah. it would have been February. So then you got um, you got that job and now you've moved up and you're like communications manager. So now you feel like you're kind of where where you want to be. Like you yeah. feel sort of all that. In, it, and it's been intensive because you have put every hour of the day into, in, yeah, into this role especially. Um, but before that, you... Yeah, like you said, you, you you put the time into like the best accounts. You learn as much as you could. Mm. Um, so you've ample, you know, when like you're in your early twenties, if you're any role, you're just kind of slow at learning because you're sort of well, some people are because they're not quite sure where they want to go, and you've got all this time. But if you make a career change when you're older, it's like no, no, no every day matters, mm. and you really know you know what an opportunity looks like, and you know what a good. Um, yeah, what a good job looks like, what a good client looks like and who you really want to talk to and what you want to learn. Um, so you just kind of accelerated your um, uh, progress, I suppose, over the last couple of years. Yeah, well, I guess, yeah, my job title now 
pretty much my and salary you know are, are about appropriate for my age which is probably what I wanted when I took what you would say is a big step back to start again in another career which is really challenging and I definitely some challenges along the way um and yeah I when I started at this this team I remember I said to you like whatever happens I am going to be awesome at this I'm going to make sure I'm awesome at this and well yeah I think I've been very good at it and like you know I've changed jobs a bunch of times and you know moved up not a bunch of times but yeah the job has shifted a couple of times and I've moved up and you know you deal with challenges but all in all I think it's gone really well um I think it's funny what you said there about like focusing on the accounts wanted to focus on because i do think that's a thing Mm -hmm. and it's a weird thing to encourage but for people making their way up i think and i even did this you know as a musician where you just focus on put your energy into the things that you that are where you want to be so for example you're in a pr agency you've got five accounts and one of them is everything you want to do it's not the most professional advice but put all your energy into that account i deliberately well, not deliver. Well, yeah, no. I consciously neglected a couple of the crap accounts that I was on, and I got a friend who was my manager. He's now just my buddy. When I go and watch rugby and have beers with him now, he always reminds me. Do you remember when I had to manage you on that account? You were a nightmare, and I'm like, you know, because you didn't pull your weight. And I was going, yeah, deliberately because I was focusing on the sports accounts because I wanted to work in sport. Look what I now do, you know. And that's you know, and that's it's fine. We have a joke, but um, it's it's true. Like I'm like going, yeah, you're not showing me up for being rubbish i knew what i was doing i was focusing my energy where it needed to focus to get where i needed to be yeah and that is i mean i i don't know i'm pretty sure i i did mention this to you when you started i'm not saying it was me that made you do that but i was so much more aware watching you in your career i just kind of knew the game that everyone else had played that i had no clue about because i think when i started out i was like i would do everything i was told and also taps into the ADHD thing where I'm not able to like prioritize stuff. But I was like, right, I need to do this, need to do this. And you're not thinking strategically about your own career. But if you go into it going, they can't, no one can get rid of you if you're really, really good at something. If you're neglecting three things and then you're shit at the two things you do like, then obviously you're going to get nowhere. But if you are really good at the stuff that you want to be really good at, you're going to be indispensable or people, you know, people are going to know your value and you're going to get as much out of it as possible but I think it was only looking at you and your career I was able to like see strategically what people should do but I only had that because of my life experience and you probably only had that because of your life experience but maybe you would have done the same had you been 22 um and been in the job but I don't know do you you think you would have been if you'd started in that role at 22 do you think you'd have put equal Mm. care into all the accounts or do you think you would have still was it a personality trait of yours I honestly can't answer the question. I don't know. I just don't know how life would have gone had I have, let, like you say, gone into an, some sort of office environment at that age because it was just so not on the radar and I can't think what I was like then. Um, yeah, no clue. No clue at all because I just focused on what I wanted to do. So at the time, all I wanted to do was be in a corporate band, going back to what we spoke about at the top. I wanted to be in my mate's corporate band kind of focused all my energy and the universe came my way and I wanted to do that and I didn't want to work in the warehouse so I focused my energy on that until the warehouse fired me I was like good Mm -hmm. that's gone you know I guess it's that principle isn't it where you just drive towards what you want to do Mm -hmm. and the biggest part of this as well which is important to mention because it is quite annoying when people see what you do and they like think oh I I could do that I'd fancy it and but underneath all of this is you have a massive love passion 
love for, passion for, and knowledge of Formula One. Like you've been obsessed with it since you were eight, nine. Yeah, it's hugely vindicating to work in something that um, I did an interview today, actually. Um, Well, I hosted an interview today for, and, and the interviewer was someone I used to watch on telly when I was a kid. And it's funny having a chat and he's like, you know, hi, Curtis, good to, you know, good to speet to you. And, you know, you're going to be out in Abu Dhabi in a couple of weeks. Oh, yeah, see you there. And I'm like, it's fucking mental that I'm having this conversation, you know. So, yeah, and that's nice. And I guess it's nice as well that because I must remind myself that, you know, it's it's still a business. It's still pretty corporate. And, you know, you deal with all the politics you deal with anywhere else. You deal with all the processes you do anywhere else. But ultimately, the things I'm talking about on the phone to whoever I need to be on the phone to is formula one. Mm-hmm. And the thing I'm representing is a really cool historic formula one mm-hmm. team. That's pretty cool. And I think, I don't want to say I take it for granted, but you do just forget quite how cool that is. But having that foundation though, of that knowledge is not what a lot of people have. Cause some people go into any old job and because they understand process or they understand strategy or they could, they can look at roles from a sort of consulting angle. They don't understand the heart and soul of, of the, the subject matter and the topic and you and you have that and that has been like what role do you think that has played so it's not just your passion and not just going oh I want to be in Formula One it's that in-depth understanding of it um how much of a, a difference has that made I guess it helps I mean I actually noticed it more I'm going to go back to the agency again when we we're working for Nielsen Sports so, you know, one week would be working on some football stats, one week some boxing. And then I remember we had a, a kickoff call with their F1 division and our boss on our side going, right, does anyone here have capabilities in F1? And I remember going, here we go. <laughs> and I went, give me the keys. What do you want to know? And I ended up forming this amazing relationship with their SVP and him just, me and him just chewing the fat and brainstorming. And so in that respect, you know, where, and then I became the F1 guy. So in that agency, so anything F1, they're like, right, give it to him. Well, I suppose this is an obvious one. What advice? Because you get, you get asked this all the time anyway on LinkedIn. What advice would you give to someone either wanting to get into Formula One or uh, to take a career change? If you want to get into Formula One, do a music degree. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't have advice. Because I don't see also, like, I've got a long way to travel still. You know what I mean? I'm still, you know, I'm a few years into a sports career off the back of you know traveling about doing some music it's you know i don't i'm not very comfortable being the person giving advice yeah but you're from a non-traditional background in this area that's the thing and you have somehow (laughs) um you know collected all the tools and built your skills and and networked as well sort of without really realizing it um to kind of entrench yourself in the world of sports comms in quite a short space of time um, when you you know when you think you're a guitarist four years ago so because you've had that non-traditional route I guess I don't know that's that's, that's why I was interested in like the knowledge of Formula One it's like if you love something and you're passionate about mm. it you will in and and you're, you know you've got half half a brain um, you will intrinsically understand it like it has blown my mind how you just instinctively understand your field and I think you take that for granted. I don't like. Mm. I know I'm sort of putting it in your putting words in your mouth here, but I see. I don't think anyone else who was a guitarist who did three or four years 
in sort of any sort of other role could do what you do without that real fucking foundation. You can't just like research a year of Formula One and know it. Like I know Formula One quite well now for, you know, for a girl. Um, but I know it quite well considering it's only built, you know, I've only watched it for sort of four years. But I don't have that. Like there's still the stuff that I will say and I'll be like, oh, is this right? And you'll be like, no, because like, you just know the culture. It's It's just part of you. Um, or you, you understand it so well in a way that other people don't. So it's like, I'm mm. not sure maybe your path wouldn't have been that easy. Had you not have, had you not just had this complete understanding of sport? Like that's where the talent element seems to come up for me I, anyway. Well, I guess so. But I get, I think as well, that's just immersing yourself in something and not everybody works in a field that they immerse themselves in. Oh, you got no advice then. <laughs> No, I think, well, well yeah, it's, it's not really advice because not everybody works in the thing that's their hobby. Mm. I think even if it wasn't, maybe this is not the advice you asked for, but my only advice is like, if you love something, whatever your hobby is, immerse yourself in it and just lean into it. Because there's, there's enough shit, isn't there, in the world. So that's why, you know, with me, as we've you know, heard, it's largely sport and things, but whatever your thing is that you love, you should just lean into it and completely immerse yourself in it. I like that. And then, then you can just see where it goes. Yeah. Then you'll never be bored, I suppose, if that's the well, thing that drives be... you. Yeah, yeah. If, you're, if you love books and you just always read all the books and think about what book you're reading next and talk to other people who like books, you'll always be happy because that just drives you. And it doesn't matter what you're doing for a living because you'll have you'll always have your books. <laughs> yeah. it's probably, no, I think it's a terrible example. No, not even but the advice no, the, 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 the principle is, is, yeah, no, I love it. It's like, yeah, just whatever you love, just really, really love it. Yes. And I allow think... yourself to... To just, yeah, like you yeah, say, immerse yourself there. in it. And, and also, how interesting are people that love what they do? Mm. Someone that loves something that I'm completely uninterested in, I, I just love hearing people talk about it. Mm. And like, I, I actually can't think of an example, but there are so many. But yeah, just someone that's passionate about something, it's great hearing them talk about it. Mm. And doesn't get boring because passion in itself is interesting. Yeah. I agree. This has been very, very interesting. Yeah. Thanks for chatting to me. Right. <laughs> what do you want to do now? What time is it? Oh, I don't know. Is it nine? Not what time is it? It's quarter past nine. It's time for some friends in bed. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks for chatting. Bye. Bye. See you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>